I might be pathologically helpful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Steven Tyler, and this is No Indie. Each week on the show, I share a conversation with one of the good people doing their best right here in Indianapolis. This is episode nine, and today's guest is the maven of the Midwest, Joanna Taft. Joanna is the executive director of the Harrison Center at the corner of 16th and Delaware, and she was an integral part in the start of Heron High School. We got into all of that and much more in our conversation. As usual, this interview is split into two episodes. This is part one, and the conclusion to this conversation, episode 10, will be available in your feed next Thursday morning. Thank you for listening. Here is part one of my conversation with Joanna Taft. I hear you collect paintings of dumpsters. How'd you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Who started that rumor? It's it's true. (laughs) This is true. Uh, Okay, first, why? Um, I don't know why we bought our first, I think it was a, um, William Lawson. He's a fountain square artist that lived at the Wheeler building. I think we just liked the painting and I think, um, it was a fountain square alley and alleys are a big part of our lives. You know, we, we live in urban Indianapolis and neither one of us grew up in the city. So we didn't have alleys growing up. Mm. And, um, I think, I think we were kind of captivated by the possibilities of alleys. Our alleys were not in good shape and, um, and we're not so it could opt to be a scary place. Um, but there's also something very beautiful about them. And I think that when we looked at the dumpster, uh, we kind of think about um, there's a lot of opportunity in our lives too. Um, we're not always we don't always have it all together. We're not we're not always um, um, where we need to be, but it's it's excited to think about the fact that we're on a journey and that um, sometimes this, messy life of mine um is looks a lot better and um but at the same time even when it's messy looking i know there's a lot of hope you said uh the potential of alleys what yeah. what do you mean by that uh, i think that i think probably my my thinking evolved over the years i think initially um i i was wondering why there was trash all over the place and not in the dumpster and i was wondering why there was illegal dumping and and um, why they were, the pavement was terrible. We had we had a brick alley, and there were huge um, holes, and you know the car tires are you know always getting messed up. Um, so in one sense, it, they were not beautiful places, um, but they're a space where neighbors can connect. Um, so when you're taking your trash out, you see your neighbors, and so there's a, a moment of beauty there of mm-hmm. connecting with with um, somebody. Um, but also, I think that for a long time they were um, they they were for trash, they were forgotten, um, and I've I've seen in the last ten years um, in some of the neighborhoods people kind of reclaiming the alleys and starting gardens, little mm-hmm. gar- um, growing tomato plants out you know in their alley out that little six patch switch six um, feet of space, you know, between their backyard and, and the alley. And I've seen some really wonderful um, reimagining of, of the alley and what that space can do um, to help build relationships, but to also bring beauty um, mm. to our, our neighborhoods. Very good. 
Uh, my other question about dumpster paintings is, are they hard to find? Uh, they're more common than you think. Really? <laughs> yeah. So actually, so we probably have about six of them maybe. And um, I got an email this week from a doctor in town and he um, he said, I hear you collect dumpster paintings. This happened like really two days ago. Really? And he sent me, he said, I do too. And he sent me three or four images of, from his dumpster paintings. And so I'd, I'd, I'm like, man, I should start an Instagram account. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So I would have never, never imagined right. that was even a genre of painting, but it sure is. Apparently it is. Okay. <laughs> um, am I correct that you moved to Heron Morton around 20 years ago? 27 years ago. 27 yeah. years ago. Okay. Uh, where did you move from? Um, well, can I go back a little bit? Please. So I, I grew up in the DC area um, okay. and um, I met a Hoosier. So uh, um, my husband was working on Capitol Hill and I was working at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> and so uh, we met and um, his, he became interested in cities and historic preservation and community development. So he came back to the Midwest for, for graduate school and we got married. I followed him. So we were actually in Muncie, Indiana, and then Richmond, Indiana, and then came to Indianapolis um, for work in community development. Yeah, so he came, um, we came because he got the job with SEND, Southeast Neighborhood Development at Fountain Square. Okay. Um, so that's what brought us here. I had been working for um, Historic Landmarks Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, which is now Indiana Landmarks. Um, so I worked for the Eastern Regional Office out of Cambridge City. Um, and then when we moved to Indianapolis, um, I kind of um, became interested in my neighborhood and um, really put my efforts into um, strengthening my neighborhood. And why did you choose Heron Morton? We wanted, uh, my husband's interest and our interest, um, was in bringing the city back to life. And, um, so we wanted to walk the talk. We wanted to live in a neighborhood that, that needed people to invest in it. Um, it would have made sense for us to live in Fountain Square, mm -hmm. um, because he was working there, but we couldn't find a house that was big enough. Uh, we wanted to have a lot of people in our home and um, community meals and um, house people, that type of thing. So uh, we were living in Richmond and our neighbor across the street said, I was telling him how hard it was to find a house that I could afford. Mm -hmm. And that was big enough for what we wanted. And he said, Oh, I have a boarded up house in Indianapolis. I'd sell you. <laughs> and so um, we I didn't even look at it. He told me how many bedrooms and the price. And I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> My husband went to look at it. <laughs> Our, we had a daughter at that point that would scream every time we put her in the car. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm. It's fine. Let's just get it. So uh, Bill looked at it and gave the thumbs up. So we bought this house in Morton because of our, our neighbor. It's been a great move. And it was boarded up when you bought it? Boarded up, no kitchen, <clears throat> kitchen ceiling had fallen in, um, no... Um, they, we did get the heat and plumbing working before we moved in, but we camped in the, we camped in our library for the first three months with a baby and, um, and eventually kind of room by room worked on the house. How forthcoming was Bill with his description of the house when he saw it versus when you saw it? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he told me what it was like. Okay. Yeah. All right. There was no surprise there. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So our neighbor was a, very nice person who liked to collect things. 
and he used this house to store his collection of car parts. And so um, he also, he, he owned several houses and he didn't really want to sell it. Like he wanted to help us out, but he didn't want to let go of, of it. So when he sold the house to us, um, we couldn't get him to get his stuff out of the house, but we really wanted to move in. So we rented a U-Haul, drove from Richmond, Indiana with all of our stuff, emptied our stuff into the house with his stuff in it, and then loaded the U-Haul up with his stuff. That was the only way we we could get his stuff out of the house. Oh my gosh. So we moved into a dirty house, which was not not fun, but we had no other no other option. Did you have any regrets at any point during that time? Oh no. No? No. Um the house isn't our favorite style. Okay. Um we did buy the house because we both love architecture. We both are interested in and you know, we, we talk about houses a lot and yeah. architecture a lot, but um, our house is a very modest house. It's a good family house, having a lot of people in and not worrying about people hurting anything. Yeah. But it's not, um, it's not something that would be on a home tour. Okay. Fair enough. Um, for people that aren't familiar with Indianapolis 27 years ago, can you kind of paint the picture of what you were yeah. Moving to? Yeah. When we moved here, um, there was no mall. There was a big hole downtown. A hole? A hole. Because they had started building the mall and then there was controversy because they had torn down historic buildings. And so they were sued. And um, as they were kind of settling some of those, um, some of those suits, um, every construction just came to a halt. So there's this huge hole. So basically all the businesses went out of business because of the construction, but then it took forever to get them going again because it took forever for the construction to get going again. And this is Circle Center Mall? Yeah, Circle Center. So downtown at Washington and Maryland, like that area, there's a big hole downtown? There was a huge hole, yeah. Wow. Um, so we always joke that when we moved downtown, you uh, people talk about living in the city for convenience but you couldn't even buy a pair of socks downtown. So we would go out to Lafayette square to buy things um, because there wasn't, there wasn't any shopping downtown. Wow. So I remember, I think I was, I must've been pregnant with our second, I'm guessing it was our second child, 93 um, when the mall opened. So we moved here in 91. Wow. Um, so, um, and you know, there wasn't a neighborhood park. Um, there weren't really community gatherings, uh, places that, um, I knew of one other, um, mom in the neighborhood with a daughter, my age, um, there, there weren't a lot of families. Um, it was a neighborhood that when you had children, you wanted to leave. Hmm. Um, so you saw a lot of, it was, uh, I think a third of the houses were vacant in Heron Morton and, and a third of the lots were vacant. So that's like two thirds of the neighborhood was vacant. Wow. So it was a lot of vacancy. Wow. Uh, so you call yourself a cultural entrepreneur? Well, I've been called that. I'm not going to call been myself called, that. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I use that term because uh, I, I don't remember who first said it, but somebody said, you're a cultural entrepreneur. I'm like, oh. What huh. is a cultural entrepreneur? And so we started using that language and defining what it what it is. And yeah. and what is it? A cultural entrepreneur sees a need, takes a risk, leverages resources, 
invests energy and networks to build culture in the city. Okay. Do you, um, you, you claim it, right? People use it for you and you're yeah, buying so, into it. Yeah. So, I mean, sure. I, I buy into it because now I've defined it. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was before. Um, and it wasn't really, I mean, it was a term that, that, that term wasn't used. Yeah. It was a term that just kind of came up in a conversation and then we started using it after that. What did you think you were doing before that? Or if somebody asked you what you were doing, what would you have said? Uh, I think I would say I was a neighbor that, that wanted my neighborhood to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I can't solve the big problems of the world, but I can do these small things in my neighborhood. And that's what I was doing. Okay. Uh, I want to read to you a bio that was written for you. Just, it's not too long. Okay. Um, and then we'll go from there. So Joanna Taft is a cultural entrepreneur who serves as the foundation executive director of the Harrison Center for the Arts, founder and board chair emeritus of Heron High School, founder of the Cultural Entrepreneurship Initiative and the City Galleries Indies Urban Living Center. She also serves on the board of Marion County Board of Zoning Appeals. She's the chair, Indiana Association for Community and Economic Development, Indianapolis Library Foundation, Allen Whitehill Clues Charitable Foundation, and the Catherine B. Sutphin Foundation, where she's the president. For these endeavors, she has received the Indianapolis Business Journal Women of Influence Award, the Girls, Inc. Touchstone Award, the Arts Council of Indianapolis ARTI Award, Jefferson Award, and two Cultural Vision Awards. Do you feel as busy as that sounds? <laughs> um, no. No? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> How do you juggle all of that and keep it, I remain effective, I should say. Maybe that's the way to say um, it. I think it's all about location, location, location. Have you heard that before? So I have. realtors say, you know, make your house decision that way. So I have the best commute to work. I have a two-minute commute to work, and my life is integrated. Okay. okay. So I go to church in my neighborhood. My kids went to elementary school four blocks north of our house. Our kids went to high school four blocks uh, west of our house. Um, I work four blocks south of our house. Um, everything I'm involved in is rooted in my neighborhood and in overlapping and integrated relationships. So when I'm sitting on the porch uh, with my neighbors, I'm also talking about things that are related to these. these everything's integrated. Okay. I don't have a... Work does not stop at five o'clock, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it doesn't feel like work because mm-hmm. it's it's life. I'm living my life with other people. Okay. Yeah. Um, how do you mentally manage all of that information? For for my personality, I would be overwhelmed at the thirty five responsibilities across ten different organizations, um, and I definitely couldn't keep straight who I needed to do what for. Um, well, I have a calendar, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I take it a day at a time. So I do, I plan out. I mean, if there are things that, um, I, I have priorities, I have a strategic plan for the Harrison Center and a lot of those organizations and duties related to those organizations are actually, um, strategic for the Harrison Center mm-hmm. and, and can be linked to our strategic plan. Okay. So I'm not doing scattered work. I'm doing strategic work okay. that supports um, the, those goals of connecting people to culture, community, and place. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, I would say that hundreds or even thousands of people see the same problems you do in the world and they walk right past. Why do you stop and try to solve them? I might be pathologically helpful. <laughs> um, did you, the Malcolm Gladwell book, um, Tipping Point? Yes. was a very instrumental book for me and starting the Harrison Center. Um, and I, they talk about mavens and connectors, different personality types that you need to create a movement. Mm -hmm. And the maven is somebody who's path, pathologically helpful. And that was the phrase that he used. Basically, if you say to them... Um, you should do this. Um, they'll, uh, if a maven says, to, um, a maven has a lot of emotional connection to people and they want to help solve things, but they also can get people to do things. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So um, there's this emotional connection. So not only do I do things to help others, but I can get other people involved. Okay. Um, what drives you to that? What's your inspiration to do that? So um, I was raised um, in a home that um, was very interesting. Uh, my parents, I come from a Protestant background, and mm -hmm. in our home, we talked a lot about the cultural mandate. And it's the idea in Genesis that, um, that when God created humans, um, um, he also gave them a calling to continue the work of creation, to create cities to raise families, to heal broken systems, to create beauty, to, um, um, to continue building and, and um, beautifying the world. And so uh, for me, I was taught that I could do that as a, I was a business major. So I was taught I could do that as a business major working for the federal government, which is what I did. Hmm. And I felt like I could bring justice and mercy to my job at the federal government and that I was carrying out that calling of the, the cultural mandate of um, healing this world. Um, and then when I moved to Indiana and kind of had to reinvent myself, my work, and work for Indiana Landmarks and, and then began doing neighborhood um, community development and cultural development work, again, it was very easy to see that this is work that um, helps, that continues or uh, contributes to the healing of this of this world and and continuing continuing that work of creation. So it's theologically driven for mm -hmm. me. Um, but the really beautiful thing for me is that because I believe in this thing called calling, because I feel like um, I have a calling to do to do this work. Um, I've learned that calling gives you uh, passion. Mm -hmm. Calling gives you courage. And calling gives you perseverance. And so there are times that I've been scared to death and I've kept going because of this idea of calling. Um, there have been times that, um, you know, many times that, that I didn't want to do the work, but that idea of calling got me out of bed and propelled me to keep going. Um, when did you identify your calling? So because of my home growing up, we talked um, a lot about our calling as human beings is mm. to heal this world. Um, it was very, it, it was very, and it was logical that we would, we could apply that to anything. So mm. my dad was a teacher. My mom was a medical librarian. Um, 
I could be any profession and in that profession, I could contribute to the healing of, of the world. But also, you know, my parents had a lot of people in their home. They had people over for dinner. They had, um, uh, that was another way that they contributed to the, that calling, the healing of the world by, by building community and, and helping, you know, helping people in different ways. Um, so when Bill and I got married, we wanted to have kind of a calling for us as a family. Mm. And so, um, um, because of, um, our interests in cities, um, specifically for our family, the healing of the city became our calling. And then when we started having children, we extended that call to our kids, to Rebecca, Michael, and Susanna. Mm. And, um, and we, we assume that they are going to be a part of that call until they decide otherwise. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really exciting to see how the, all three of our kids are engaging in that call and have continued in that calling. Um, it wouldn't be wrong for them to have a different call, mm -hmm. but it's been really fun as a family. Um, our oldest daughter's getting her master's in city design right now at uh, London school of economics. So she's, you know, on the phone with us a lot, talking about some of the issues that, that are coming up in her studies and, mm -hmm. and, um, our, um, daughter, Susanna works for the chamber of commerce and is very active in, um, in city things. And our son works in real estate development in the city. So, wow. yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, it is. Hmm. I've, I grew up in a tradition where the calling was always, um, very personal, mm. you know, it was a one-to-one -one type choice. So I love, it's a beautiful idea of sharing it with the whole family and, yeah. um, having a purpose there. That's neat. Um, I would say that your resume tells a story of someone with a strong sense of vision. Would you disagree or agree with that statement? I don't know that I, um, I think it might show a stubborn person. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when we started the Harrison center, I didn't have a vision for what it would be today. Mm. I wanted to love artists and I wanted our neighborhood to have a gathering spot and I wanted, um, I wanted it to be this small little thing that was just loving people. That was mm -hmm. my vision. Um, I had no idea that it would go on to start here in high school or that we would end up training over 170 cultural entrepreneurs or that we would end up writing, creating place-based music and um pre-enactment theater and all these other, other things that we've done that have impacted a lot of lives. Hmm. So um, I think that I'm really interested in seeing what doors open and not staying in my room when the doors open, when the doors hmm. open, I'm going to keep looking to see what else is out there. And so um, I think that with the Harrison center, as other doors have opened to serve the community, we've, we've boldly entered those doors. Okay. Can you tell me about the, decision to create hair in high school or to start hair in high school? Yeah. Um, so there's two stories. I'm trying to figure out which story to tell you. Oh, um, we have time for both. If you want okay. to go that route too. <laughs> All right. Well, you might be one of the only ones to hear the other story. Ooh. So one story and they're both true. I don't know how they could both be true. My husband says they can't both be true. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> so, um, I'm running the Harrison Center. We're doing really well. We, we started here in 2001, but in 2003, you know, we're having a thousand people coming to our first Fridays and, 
And we were written up in Indianapolis Monthly as a poster child for cultural development. And Nouveau called us one of the most exciting arts destinations, you know. And um, so we were feeling pretty good. Um, but then all of a sudden, my artist started coming to me and saying, I need to move. I need to leave Indianapolis and move to L.A., New York, or Chicago. I'm like, what are you talking about? Don't you know about the great parties we're having here? Mm. Haven't you read Nouveau? And they looked at me and they said, Joanna, we need to live in a city where there are art patrons. You always talk about, Harrison said it works with emerging patrons, people that are learning how to buy art, people that are exploring art. We actually need real art patrons because we can't make a living here in Indianapolis unless um, we have real art patrons. And I didn't know what to do. Mm. And so I was kind of thinking about it over a period of about six months trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I serve artists? How do I generationally, I feel like I needed to do something that would make a generational difference, not just a, a, a first Friday difference. Mm -hmm. And so about the same time, um, Heron school of art, it was called John Heron art Institute and then Heron school of art. I think at that time, um, it announced it was moving to IUPUI mm -hmm. and, and that was Heron leaving our neighborhood. Our neighborhood is Heron Morton mm -hmm. leaving our neighborhood after a hundred years. And that was a night that was an identity crisis for our neighborhood. Mm. Um, who are we when Heron is gone? So um, Mayor Peterson put together a little commission of people to, ter to determine what should this new what should the building be used for? It was kind of a crisis for the city too, because they did a land swap with the school. Mm. And so the city ended up owning this college camp complex. And the city had quite a few abandoned buildings at that point that they couldn't take care of. So it was a challenge. So um, I was on this little commission and I went to the meetings and, and people would um, had their ideas and they were terrible ideas. They weren't fundable. They weren't sustainable. And they weren't the kind of ideas that people get passionate about, which are my three tests for a good idea. Can you give some examples of bad ideas or is that calling anybody out too I'm, much? I am really worried um, if I told you. Okay, that's right. Because um, then you might know who they are and all uh, that kind of stuff. Okay, but they, no they weren't they weren't good ideas. Um, and so I, I kind of raised my, I was so, I felt so insecure being there, by the way. It mm. was the first time I was on any kind of commission or, you know, mm. a group like that. And I sat in the back and I eventually raised my hand and I said, you know, there's this new charter school movement. I don't know much about it, but there's a funding stream. Bill Gates is giving away money to start high schools. What if we were to, what if we were to honor the art and education history of this building? And if, what if we were to start a high school designed to grow art patrons? What if we were to, um, not artists, even though we have a great art program at Heron, mm -hmm. but people that will become our um, voters and volunteers and philanthropists and moms and teachers and doctors and artists that, and neighbors, you know, the kind of uh, well-rounded citizen that every city needs. And so um, people kind of looked at me and I thought that was a great idea, but they kind of looked at me, okay, you, you do it, right? <laughs> so um, I, you know, started working on it and we applied for this little exploratory grant with the Gates Foundation, and, and we got it. It was small. It was like $50,000. But um, we then started looking at models across the country and came up with our model for classical education, integrating the arts into it. And um, and this was a model that could serve underserved kids or middle-class kids and um, ended up 
writing the charter and getting it approved. And then I ended up raising the seed money for the school and then um, acquiring the the property. Um, so it, it was an amazing story. Um, so that was that's kind of how we we started it. Do you want to hear the other story? I would love to hear the other story. So I was on the board of the Oaks Academy. Uh-huh. And the Oaks um, what, went to eighth grade. And some of the people on that board were interested in high school. And they, on their own, kind of paid to have a study done on whether or not there was a need for a high school. Mm. And um, apparently the study was done. And the study said that there wasn't a need for a high school downtown. Um, but they never, they never interviewed me and I lived downtown and they never told me that the study had been completed and that they determined they didn't have a need. So when I found out that they had done all this, um, I was pretty angry. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm telling my husband about this and he says, we're in bed and he says, we need to start a high school. And I'm like, yes. And I'm like, my husband, he's such a hero. He's amazing. I'm thinking in my heart, oh, he's an amazing man. He's going to start a high school. So the next three weeks I run around, I'm telling people that Bill's going to start a high school. And Bill and I hadn't talked about this again for like three weeks and came up in conversation. And I said something about the high school that he was going to start. And he's like, I'm not starting a high school. I'm like, what? I told everybody you were going to start a high school. I'm so embarrassed. Now I have to start a high school. (laughs) So anyway, that's the other story. I got shamed into it. (laughs) Huh. Uh, You may not claim that you take on big vision, but I don't know many people that would be ambitious enough to take on starting a high school. I was scared every day to the core of my being. Every single day. Mm. Yeah. So if you think about that calling thing. Yeah. So literally, I mean, ask my husband. I was scared to death. It was uh, my biggest fear is humiliation, mm. just with my personality wiring. And think about how public it was. Um, I mean, I can tell you some pretty bad stories. <laughs> um, when we, you know, nobody told me how to talk to city council. Mm. I, I'm this neighborhood person. I'm my mom. You know, I'm I'm loving my neighborhood. I'm not thinking. I I didn't know the the. Um, I didn't understand politics in the way uh, that I needed to. And so um, when we had our charter hearing, um, I, I didn't do a great job. Um, I was more informal mm. than I should have been. Um, it's kind of a, it's a hearing setting, but I was a little bit more informal. And um, after the hearing, we got approved. After the hearing, um, one of my board members came up to me and he said, uh, Joanna, you've done a great job getting us to this point. Um, but, you know, you're not, you're not a community leader. You're just kind of a neighborhood person. And we really need a community leader, you know, to, to take this to the next step. And... Um, you know, I, I knew I hadn't done a good job in that meeting. Mm. Um, I knew that, um, and I, I was feeling, you know, humiliated and, and, um, um, 
you know, just just discouraged. And then it, it was really embarrassing that he that this board member said, you know, you really should move on. But nobody else would take the the position. Nobody <laughs> else would lead it. And so here I was feeling, I'm not fancy. I'm not pedigreed. I'm not from Indianapolis. I'm not, you know, whatever the qualifications are. Mm-hmm. I can think of every reason why I wasn't qualified to do it, but nobody else would do it. So I was kind of stuck with it. Um, but it was that idea again of calling. I could have said, I'm not qualified, so I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then nobody would have done it. So instead I thought, this is horrible. I hate the fact that I'm not qualified, but I'm just going to just keep going. And that's what I did. That so, sounds so hard. But it was, it was very hard. But the great news is that I learned, I learned a very important lesson that Heron High School did not start because I was smarter than anybody else or because I was more qualified than anybody else. Mm. It started because I didn't give up. And when you figure that out, you know that you can do anything. So I'm, I can, I'm, I still get scared, but I've learned that being scared is irrelevant. Hmm. I could get a lot of work done when I'm scared. Do you, would you qualify this definition of scared as anxiety or fear? Or is it a combination of both? Probably both. Probably both. It probably comes and goes in different ways. Yeah. Do you have any coping mechanisms that you, that you use to work through that or work in spite of it? Maybe. Um, I think that. I remind myself of what I know. Mm. There are a lot of things I don't know. I can't, and that is a lot of anxiety, right? And what you don't know, what you mm-hmm. can't figure out. And so I, I, I focus on what I know. What do I know? And I build on what I know. We are going to pause the conversation right here. The conclusion to my interview with Joanna will show up in your feed next Thursday morning. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. Find me on the socials at No Indie Show and learn more at noindie.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>